0: Seeing no objection, so ordered. Senator Worth. Mr.
1: President, I move the Senate adjourn.
0: CNADA I second the motion. Seeing no objection, the Senate has adjourned. C N D A. Congratulations.
2: Good evening, New Mexico. And that right there is how it happened today.
0: I'm Damian Willis, and this is the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process, while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this episode, we're joined by Algernon Damasa, who covers statewide issues for The Sun News, as well as Adrian Hedden, the energy and environment reporter for the Carlsbad Current Argus. To look at the just adjourned session of the New Mexico legislature, several major bills made it to governor Michelle Lujan Grisham's desk. Many others died in committee or on the floor. We'll attempt to capture what you need to know and the big takeaways from the 30 day session. Algernon, Adrian, thanks for making time to join us today to discuss your reporting.
1: Hello, Damian. Hi, Damian. Now, Algernon,
0: you started the session by looking at five under-the-radar bills that we intended to follow. I suspect that many of these didn't make it to the floor, might not have made it out of committee, or certainly uh, to the governor's desk. Can we look at those real quick?
3: We sure can. I mean, let's preface this by saying that hundreds of bills were filed. Several hundred bills were filed for this 30-day session. They only had 30 days to make it through at least two committees and clear floor votes in both chambers, right? So the majority of bills did not make it through. And we wanted to try to follow some of the ones that weren't getting as much attention. So one of the things, some things did get through. The uh, one bill we were following was to create a missing indigenous person's office within the office of the attorney general. And this would be a full-time position for someone, coordinating a database, and really trying to move some resources to try try to address outstanding cases involving missing and murdered indigenous people in New Mexico. It appropriates $1 million. It's a very modest appropriation in a you know, $8.5 billion budget. And that passed without opposition. So that that's going to uh, move forward. It's on its way to the governor. Another bill, this has come back a couple of times, trying to set some limits on court appointed guardians and conservators for adults. This follows several, uh, you know, a handful of really horrible cases in New Mexico involving elderly people who had court appointed guardians and conservators take custody of them and their property and their money and so that passed and that is on its way to governor lujan grisham some other things that we found interesting that just didn't go anywhere bill ream a legislator a a retired law enforcement officer he's wanted to propose a specific bill how to measure cannabis DWI. This is one of the questions that came up during the whole push to legalize cannabis in New Mexico was what about driving while under the influence? How do you measure that? Who measures that? How do we deal with that? And that's so it uh,
0: basically requires a blood test, is that correct?
3: Yes. So what they're doing is it's a limit in the blood concentration of the psychoactive compound THC in the blood. And Rehn was trying to use a model that is used in some other states. It's a little bit controversial, but some states have implemented it. And he also introduced some concentration limits involving other substances as well, interestingly. That, in a 30-day budget session, that didn't even get heard by committee. So that's probably going to come back in a 60-day session in some form. And uh, another thing we were following was there was a proposal to take $75 million in federal pandemic dollars and start a new public health research institute. Housed at UNM in Albuquerque, but with some of the money five million going to New Mexico State University as a partner in this new institution that didn't that as far as I can tell that did not go anywhere and I don't think it got looped into any other budget legislation i I, I don't think that that, Got through. And finally, one thing that was really interesting after two years of pandemic public health orders and a state of emergency, there was a bipartisan bill trying to set some limits on the governor's ability to establish ongoing and endlessly renewed public health emergencies. And they were trying to set up a system where the legislature would have to be brought in after 90 days to convene the legislature in a special session to approve plans moving forward. The legislative analysis said this could end up being really expensive. In a case like COVID-19, you'd be having multiple special sessions. It just, there wasn't really time to refine that proposal and that didn't go anywhere. That, again, is something I expect will come back.
0: Adrian, what Environment and energy bills. Have you been following? I know that it's certainly of particular interest and always a hot topic in the oil patch in the the Permian Basin.
1: Sure, Damien. Um, yeah, I, I cover you know oil and oil and gas and the environment here, here and, and energy as as well. But yeah, I think the biggest story going into the session um, as far as energy was uh, the hydrogen legislation, and Governor you know, announced this during uh, the New Mexico Oil and gas associations uh, first over there, their annual meeting last year for the first time, um, basically saying she wants to um, turn New Mexico into a hydrogen hub that would kind of leverage some federal funds that the Biden administration has been uh, announcing. But basically, yeah, there was going to session, there was house bill four, which was the first version. I mean, it, and to preface this, I mean, it it didn't work out this time. I, I, there was enough time. There was a lot of opposition. So hospital four was the first one, um, basically providing incentives for companies to pursue projects to develop hydrogen energy, targeting kind of low car- lower carbon versions of it. They think it's a good way to diversify the economy, reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions, that kind of thing. There's a lot of opposition from the environmental group, surprisingly enough. They believe that it's fossil fuel, just like natural gas. A lot of hydrogen power does involve burning natural gas. So, you know, that would mean more extracted, more drilling. Um, so there was a pretty strong opposition from environmental groups. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, these bills were unsuccessful. So yeah, hydrogen, uh, hi- house bill four, uh, failed in its first committee. Then house bill 227 failed. And then house bill 228. I mean, they were all tabled. So, I mean, that was three chances in a short session. It was amazing to me that they had three chances to do it. Um, and they <laughs> were all tabled one by one. They were supported, uh, well sponsored by, uh, Patricia Ludstrom, who she's kind of the finance person. She's chairs the house finance committee. So she doesn't really usually get into energy or environmental stuff, but um, in her district, up in McKinley County, I was talking to her about this. They have the Escalante Power Plant, and I think she was hoping that these bills would could create a pilot project to convert the the coal-fired Escalante Power Plant into a hydrogen plant. You know, to, to kind of save jobs in her district. And then there was a fourth thing on hydrogen. It was a uh, it was a Senate Bill 194 that would have added hydrogen power to the state's list of renewable energy. You know, in its Renewable Energy Act, and that was also tabled in its first committee. So a lot of opposition to hydrogen. You know, despite the governor and the secretary of the environment and and most of her cabinet being pretty supportive of it, it was it was pretty interesting to see that
0: Algernon. One of the things that didn't really start out as a hot topic going into the session kind of turned into one. Tell us about the spaceport gross receipts tax bill.
3: This is maybe my personal favorite story to come out of this session, despite some of the bigger attention bills. There was a bid by a Democratic and a Republican pair of representatives to look at essentially sales tax are gross receipts tax, including people who buy tickets to fly to space with Virgin Galactic from New Mexico's Spaceport America. Surprisingly, as it turns out, the statute regarding this, the statute that applies here goes back to the 1990s. So even before we had a spaceport, and it said that if a commercial spaceflight company is flying payloads to space, those are maybe scientific experiments that you fly on a rocket to see how they do at higher altitudes, that those would be excluded from the receipts that the business has to pay taxes on. And these legislators asked, and after some digging, they found out that the state taxation and revenue department considers human passengers just flying to space as payloads. <laughs> are, Therefore, are, are people payloads? You know, are people payloads? And if they're payloads, under the law, there is no gross receipts tax that applies to them. Why does this matter? Well, currently, Virgin Galactic is selling tickets to fly to space at a price of $450,000 a piece. This is a very high-end luxury item for people who can afford to do that and have that experience of flying to space. The legislators felt like the state and the local counties should be getting Gross receipts taxes from those purchases. And obviously, I mean, on a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar ticket, if the whether the tax is applied in Sierra County, that's where the spaceport's located, or Dona Ana County, which is where Virgin Galactic's business offices are located, yeah, that that adds up as much as thirty-seven thousand dollars right the price of the ticket. If you're, if I'm you're sure looking the county at managers,
0: if you're looking at Doniana County's GRT rate, which is slightly higher than Sierra County's, right? Yes. It gets up in the the thirty-seven thousand dollar range.
3: Right. Uh, you know, per ticket. So, uh, you know, and, and Virgin Galactic has sold so far several hundred reservations for tickets. So, I mean, you know, this is potentially a stream of revenue that I'm sure county managers would appreciate. They're trying to get funds to fund emergency services and infrastructure. So, really, this is a wealth tax. And Virgin Galactic vigorously opposed this in committee. They said that this would be a job killer and, and suppress their enterprise just as they're trying to get it off the ground, so to speak. <laughs> and so they uh you know, so they they opposed this. And the, you know, in committee, lawmakers felt that maybe this wasn't the right time to have this conversation. I think this proposal is going to come back. I think as a matter of tax policy and clarity as well as uh, just sort of economic justice, I think this is a proposal that's likely to come back. There's
0: been a lot of focus on transitioning to a greener future for energy in New Mexico. Unless something changes, that might not bode well. (laughs) And by something changes, I mean a a whole bunch of wind farms springing up around or solar farms springing up around Carlsbad and Hobbs. That might not bode well for southeastern New Mexico. Adrian, what do your readers think about that initiative?
1: I think a lot of people in town, you know, fear renewable energy or or, are opposed to too much of it. Um, A lot of people say that, you know, they support a diverse energy base, but, you know, wind and solar could never replace, you know, the production we get out of oil and gas. Um, So, I mean, we have had a lot of wind farms up, especially up in Roosevelt County. It seems like there's a lot of wind turbines going in up there. There's been a lot in West Texas as well. So uh, overall, I think renewable energy is part of the answer, but... um, I don't think anybody thinks that it'll ever overtake oil and gas. Um, And, um, you know, to that point, um, the uh, oil and gas industry was pretty... Pretty strong in opposition to a couple of bills uh, during the session that would have, you know, called for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. You know, kind of moving towards this green agenda, I call it, of the governor and several of her supporters in the in the legislature. There was the Clean Future Act, which required New Mexico to cut its greenhouse gas emissions by fifty percent by twenty thirty. You you have to think that would have required a lot of renewable energy and a lot of a lot less um, oil and gas development. Um, that was and and coal,
0: for that matter
1: and coal yeah yeah coal well coal um like i mentioned about the escalante power plant that's i mean a lot of those facilities are getting closed down I, I think there was some effort to try to keep the san juan generating station open for longer that's yeah that's kind of a north northern new mexico issue so down here i don't think we have much coal mining um it's mostly the uh, the oil and gas extraction that people are concerned with uh, and a lot of those plants too out uh, here are are looking to convert to to lower carbon sources of energy so yeah you know i think the um this this push for more like you said a green future i think people agree that 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 might be something coming but that oil and gas will always be a part of that future you're you're seeing oil companies uh i think i wrote a story recently about i think it was chevron that is now using solar power to you know basically power its its operations its fossil fuel extraction operations so you know these companies are they're they're some of the biggest energy customers in the state, um, the, the very ones that produce the energy, so it's it's an interesting dynamic there.
0: Kind of um, is that- splitting the baby. So to speak.
1: Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, um, during the legislative session, though, um, a lot of these bills didn't 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 pass. There was a uh, also the Clean Fuel Standard Act, uh, Senate Bill 14, that was tabled. Um, actually, it was actually not tabled; it was defeated um, in a in a deadlocked vote, like in the final hours of the session, after it made it all the way through the Senate into the House floor. Um, it's very contentious, um, in that it would require. Fuel producers, so not the people who drill oil and gas, but the people who ultimately produce the gasoline and things like that to use, you know, lower carbon uh, practices and stuff to to reduce pollution. People believe that that would just drive up the cost that, that people pay at the pump. So that was that was argued against quite a bit. And it's it's been killed from that deadlocked vote. Another thing we had was House Joint Resolution 2, which is the Green Amendment basically would put into the Constitution. Well, it would put before voters the chance to add to the Constitution of New Mexico that they have a right to clean environment seems kind of like a no brainer, but um, there's concerned that this could open the state up to litigation, take the power uh, for a lot of these policies away from the lawmakers and give it to the courts. So, you know, that also didn't make it through. So, yeah, I I think that this uh, push uh, at the state level is definitely a signature issue for the governor. But uh, this year it was Didn't didn't see a lot of that succeeding. I think it's like uh, you guys were saying, 30-day session, short session. They only have a few weeks, kind of just refining these bills and figuring out what's going to work in the longer session to get them through.
0: This year's budget as passed by the legislature and if signed by the governor is, and we should note that she's got basically line item veto power, if I understand correctly, but it's massively bigger. It's About a 14% increase in the neighborhood of about a billion dollars. What impact is that likely to have on New Mexico's future?
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it is a, it it is a record high budget. Uh, It is reflective of the resurgence of New Mexico's oil and gas industry, which we still rely heavily upon for revenue and A lot of the allocations that lawmakers approved represent investments in not just those revenues, but also federal pandemic relief dollars that we received. And so there is money going into our reserves. Um, There's a much higher than usual package of capital outlay projects that benefit local districts throughout the state. There's investments in things like trying to make it easier to get more internet service to some of the rural parts of the state, efforts to extend health care services, uh, you know, just just a variety of things while there is money to really try to invest in those things as well as put some money into the reserve. Yeah, but I think there's also a concern that, um, as you mentioned, the
1: oil and gas revenue, we've seen how cyclical that can be during the when the pandemic first hit, you know, we plummeting numbers. uh Had a huge deficit all of a sudden at the state at the state level. So, you know, I think there was some concern from the Legislative Finance Committee when they made their budget recommendation that this is a volatile source of revenue and that, you know, if we spend a lot of this money, where is it going to it might not be there, you know, in the future. If you guys saw the uh, the budget or the the governor's executive budget request was. Quite a lot more than, and then the legislative finance committee was a little more conservative. And I think uh, Lundstrom's concern that was that was one of her chief concerns was, like she called it, this roller coaster oil and gas market. Yeah, you know,
0: you know, Adrian, as far as far back as I can remember, um, we've talked about diversifying New Mexico's economy. Of course, that's kind of a big push behind the film industry, which essentially is a drop in the bucket you know when you measure it against oil and gas but oil and gas is very often seen as boomer bust and you see it firsthand there in Carlsbad from your vantage point where do we stand as far as that goes
1: right now um right now oil prices are i think higher than they were even before the pandemic i think we have right now the highest price per barrel than we've seen in well, almost a decade um it's in the, it's well up in the 90s it's been there for a couple of weeks now um during the pandemic um well before the pandemic i guess i could say in, in january 2020 it was like in the 60 a barrel range during the pandemic uh, april of 2020 it fell to negative 40 for the first time ever so people were actually paying people to take oil from them oh, it was a huge bust but um since the pandemic um has i guess maybe subsided or there's been lifting of business and travel restrictions that demand is just skyrocketed. Um there's now since they curbed so much production during the bust there's now not enough production to meet the demand. So, you know, supply and demand prices is, is skyrocketing. And and we're seeing that here in Carlsbad. There's been more traffic, there's been more hotel stays um you know, in the last Yeah, boom, you
0: you crazy. literally see people moving in and out of town yeah. during these well, these periods, these highs and lows.
1: Yeah, a lot of these oilfield workers are rotated every 3 months or so, so the more the more production they have, the more of those guys you're going to see. They usually, I think, cycle from sites in southeast New Mexico, West Texas, you know, places like that. They just kind of cycle them through on a seasonal basis. I mean, it was kind of dead during the pandemic when all that stuff got shut in. You know, our trailer parks or man camps, which are basically RV parks that uh, these guys stay in while they're here. Um, those were all pretty desolate, pretty empty. Hotel there was high hotel vacancies, and now we're seeing a lot of that pick back up and, and get a lot more crowded. What was good is, is during that time they did build. A lot of new hotels and RV parks and things like that. So I think it's a little more managed this time than it was back in 2017 when the place was bursting from the seams. But um, you know, right now the the price per barrel and, and the rig counts as well have have both been on an upward trend for for some time now. Um, pretty much all last year and, and this you know, so all so far this year.
0: I've heard it said very recently that these 30 day sessions and for listeners who are unaware algernon kind of alluded to it earlier new mexico alternates each year between 30 and 60 day sessions so we do 30 day sessions in even numbered years and 60 day sessions in odd numbered years um they're often used to introduce and refine bills so that they're easier to pass in the longer sessions generally 30-day bills are restricted to budgetary issues or things that are on the governor's call. Do you guys have any thoughts on on that theory?
1: Well, I, I think in the Case of the hydrogen bill is bills, uh, bills that I was talking about. You, you saw each subsequent version um, made changes, and these were definitely changes that were de- gathered from the uh, committee hearings that I listened to. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Um, I think they're trying to refine a lot of these more policy-based bills, and that's a lot of these environmental bills are policy changes that might take some negotiation some extra nuance as opposed to as opposed to the, the budget process that they're focused on. But yeah.
3: One really unusual thing about New Mexico is that we have a non-salaried part-time legislature. And that's why we have to do our lawmaking in these 60 or 30 day sessions. And of course we can have we have interim committees that meet in between and then there are sometimes special sessions that are called. But I mean this is a it's a part-time legislature. And so time really becomes a major part of the game. Now, the sort of uh, sunny side of this is that you can work on pieces of legislation over multiple sessions. And sometimes these bills are refined in committees, they come back in a future session, much better, you know, much more resilient and well written pieces of law that find support. That sounds good. The darker side of this is that you can really use time to sideline things you know, it, it it creates an incentive to use delaying tactics as a way to bury things in committee. Uh, one thing to remember, you know, several years ago when the first lawmaker tried to introduce a cannabis legalization bill, I forget what year it was, it was several years ago, it got assigned to something like five or six committees, right? So this was a way to really just kind of bury it. And was that, that's was that Bill McCamley? That was Bill McCamley, who later became our uh, Workforce Solutions Secretary and has since left government and left the state, actually. Yeah, and we saw some of this in this session. We saw the use of procedural moves to halt the progress of bills that seemed bound for passage by the majority Democrats. Um, Republicans who hold minorities in both chambers used procedural moves to halt the progress of bills that seemed Destined for passage by the majority Democrats, bills that they just that they just really wanted to stop. And of course, famously, this was the uh, expansive omnibus election security and voting rights bill that. Passed the House Thursday morning with just hours left in the session, and uh, State Senator Bill Scherer from Farmington gave a a two-and-a-half-hour speech to run out the clock and make sure that bill did not make it to the floor before the session closed at noon.
0: And we're certainly going to get to that in a few minutes, one of the things I, I wanted to mention, the reason going back to the 30 and 60 day sessions and the unpaid legislature is the reason it happens in the winter months, because so many, especially rural districts were agriculture based. And so this was the time that those representatives could break away from work duties and go up and make laws in New Mexico.
3: That's right. I mean, it represents a a part of New Mexico's uh, historic heritage. Um, It also creates an interesting problem in our time, which is that it means that in order to be a legislator, you have to have a certain situation that allows you to go be in Santa Fe for 30 or 60 days at a time. Uh, Perhaps you're an attorney with a law practice. Perhaps you own a business and you have employees who can run the shop for you. Perhaps you're a retiree, but you don't get a lot of sort of work a day New Mexicans who depend on a on an hourly wage not, uh, not being somebody able who to works to serve in that capacity
0: works at a, a 7-11 or an Alps
3: Right and so you know, it's interesting when the argument comes up about maybe we should have a full-time legislature one objection you frequently hear is that well it creates a political professional class and we don't want that arguably the present system also ends up having a certain political class that can hold power but that's the thing is that you can change the game but people can learn how the game works and adapt and and do what they do it's a it's a it's one reason that representative democracy uh, remains imperfect and human all too human (laughs) There were
0: several of these sweeping omnibus bills that made it through this year. What can you guys tell us about those?
3: Want to start, Adrian? No, um, go for it, Aljon. So, some of the so these omnibus bills happens because, as time grows short, some of the bills that don't seem destined to make it get combined into other bills. Now, there are some rules and limitations on this because you can't just take totally disparate proposals and put them together in one legislation. That's called log rolling, and that's against the constitution. So, and there are sometimes disputes about this. One uh, example was, A two-page bill that was uh, criminalizing threats or intimidation of election workers ended up having a 165-page amendment added to it that consisted of sections of one bill, SB 6, that was an election security bill, and SB 8, which was this expansive voting rights bill, and Although the sections did not have anything new – the previous bills had been debated over hours and hours and hours in in various committees – there was still this objection to such a large amendment being dropped at the last minute in an effort to really try to move this uh, bill towards the finish line. The similar thing happened with a crime bill where numerous proposals were put together and assembled into an omnibus package in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, to try to move the best of these proposals forward, ostensibly. And some things got dropped and and there was a lot of dispute about that. But ultimately, you end up with a compromise uh, package of proposals that made it through. And then in subsequent sessions, some of the other proposals might come back.
0: And this is uh, not something I plan to talk about, but it seems loosely related. There are also dummy bills Where, you know, representatives or senators can file blank bills and then fill in the the blanks later.
1: Yeah, that was a tactic that uh, Lundstrom appeared to use, I think, in one of her hydrogen bills where there was a bill there and... We knew it was going to be the hydrogen bill, but it didn't have hydrogen in the title and you open it and it's blank. And it was sort of confusing, I think, for a lot of people what was going on. But I think that, you know, after that defeat from the first version of the hydrogen legislation, they they're hoping to quickly provide a substitute. Um, you know, they didn't get to do a committee substitute. So they were kinda of trying to very quickly put a bill together that that addressed some of the concerns that they had seen.
0: And sometimes so, yeah, it was a
1: pretty interesting tactic.
0: Sometimes these don't come along until a week or two into the the session
1: yeah yeah i was kind of frustrating because i was like waiting to read her new bill and waiting to read her new bill and (laughs) And it's
0: it's still blank now uh algernon talked a little about this earlier but let's talk about the end of the session which happened last thursday (laughs) for the only time i'm aware of at least in recent memory it ended uh well unusually
3: right so um you know, a filibuster is a is a speech that uh, runs out the clock. I guess that's the crude explanation of it. And so uh, Senator Bill Scher of Farmington uh, rose on the floor of the state Senate a Thursday morning with really just two and a half hours to go before the clock stopped on the session. Uh, Republicans knew that this election bill that they did not like was coming and that if it got to the floor— For a vote, Democrats would pass it. So Scherer stood and he said that he was going to give some remarks about tax policy during the regular House business and announcements section. It soon became clear that this was not going to be a short address. Scherer, I I listened to this entire speech, believe it or not, and uh, Scherer stood on his feet without sipping a glass of water the entire time, giving an address that, uh, that ranged from New Mexico's frontier history to fly fishing to the legacy of Navajo code talkers hot dogs the rules of baseball forestry water policy on and on in this stream of consciousness address literally until the last 20 seconds or so before noon
0: we've got audio of that and I guess we should probably play some of it because it is something to behold
2: it's right there we were We know what the rules say. Three strikes are out. And a third of the governing body goes, what are we talking about? And of course, to make anything happen, you have to have a majority of votes. Nothing happens because nobody has a majority of votes. And so there it is. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So they keep on playing the game. They're going crazy. Some people are calling umpires crazy. Some people think it's right. But they keep on playing the game. So now, whether that... Fourth pitch, had anything to do or not. Here comes another game, a couple days later. And in this game, you got a good batter. He's standing up there. He knows exactly which pitch he's looking for. Exactly where he wants it. So the first one comes across the plate. He knows it's going to be called a strike. He can see it. He's got a great eye. But it's not the pitch he wanted. So he lets it pass. Strike one. He's standing there. Solid. Again. He knows what he wants. He knows the next pitch coming down is again, not the pitch he wants, but it's okay to get strike two, strike two.
0: The wide ranging stream of consciousness, speech covering baseball, hot dogs.
2: Especially a $20 hot dog, because you can bring your own hot dog for just a few cents. But the governing body says, yep, you know, it makes sense. We have to have the concessionaires there. We have to give them a break, so we will create a rule saying that you have to have a $20 hot dog before you can go sit down. And so there's some people crazy, they're going, what is going on here? The concessionaires, of course, love it, because now they're making money. They're making a lot of money, because everybody has to buy a $20 hot dog, and it doesn't even have to be a good hot dog anymore.
0: Lobsters.
2: We can do more things. More truly productive things. Not get stuck in our little holes, in our little bubbles, where we're not allowed to expand. Not get stuck like the lobster that tries to climb up and the others pull that lobster down. Push ourselves up, don't pull ourselves down, Mr. President. We can join together. We can stand on each other's shoulders. We can grow. We can do such great things, Mr. President. We just have to get out of our own way. We just have to get out of our own
0: way. Brownouts.
2: Let's talk about how we keep the lights on in Albuquerque. How do we keep the air conditioners on in Albuquerque and Santa Fe? Because we know our own power company has told us they do not have enough power and they are going to turn off your power on purpose. They've already told us
0: that. Here's Senators Katie Duhigg of Albuquerque, Carrie Hamblin of Las Cruces, and Harold Pope Jr. of Albuquerque reacting to the 11th hour filibuster.
3: At a time when the threat to our democracy has never been greater and states around the nation are moving to restrict voting rights, we sought to do the opposite. For
2: years, formerly incarcerated people have been
3: improperly denied the right to vote. And New Mexico lost an opportunity to build a lifelong habit of voting and civic engagement with our youth. With this bill, New
0: Mexico would have been the first state in the nation to institute a Native American Voting Rights Act. We're ready to vote on this bill. New Mexicans are being denied expanding voting rights and increased election security. The fight continues.
2: By the
3: way, Damien, I just want to jump in and say that it's actually not unprecedented. Um, I, the last instance I know of, I think, as recently as 2011, there was a session that ended this way, with a with a kind of filibustering speech to run out the clock before sine die, the end of the session. So it it does happen, but uh, you know, it's not like in Congress where the threat of a of a filibuster will stop legislation. In New Mexico, you actually have to do the talking. You actually have to hold that floor and stay on your feet if you're going to do it. And uh, and that's just what Senator Scherer did.
0: You've got to bring the hot dogs. <laughs> so... Right after the session ended, uh, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham immediately ended the state's mask mandate. What was behind that decision? What do we know?
3: And what don't we know? What are we hoping to find out? So throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, when there have been major announcements about changes to the state's response, there have always been these announcements that are planned ahead. They're streamed live so that people all over the state can see it. Reporters can uh, participate virtually if they want to ask questions. This was different uh, with a few reporters who were there at hand covering the end of the session. And there was this surprise announcement. Um, And it took a lot of reporters who were not in that room by surprise. And we all had to start scrambling to confirm what we could while we were waiting for a public health order or confirmation of what we were hearing about, (laughs) basically via Twitter, as other reporters started tweeting it out.
0: Fortunately, uh, Matt Grubbs, from kob was in that room and we've got audio from him and not only is the governor in that room but David grace was there kurt steinhaus was there the health and education secretaries and so we've got some audio of that which we will be playing in a few minutes
3: You know, there's some follow up questions here just about the process, because this is different. And does that indicate that this decision was made on short notice? And why? Obviously, this was something that completely upstaged all of the news coming out of the session where the governor lost on some of her major priorities and won a few as well. And it's, of course, it's a big splashy announcement in the midst of a re-election year. So, you know, to what extent did those factors come into play? Was Dr. Scrase, the state's acting health secretary, on board with this? Uh, when did the governor make the decision? How do... To- did the state's epidemiologists feel about it? How do hospitals feel about that? Uh, They're still overwhelmed with patients. So we have a lot of questions that we're pursuing now, as well as how soon did school superintendents hear about this? There's some indications that they heard about it on very short notice and were caught by surprise. Why is that when for two years, we've always been told that these decisions are made in close consultation with the affected agencies. Why was it different here? And that's that's something that uh, we've been pursuing since the session closed. Here's
0: Governor Lujan Grisham, courtesy of KOB 4 in Albuquerque.
2: The mask requirement for indoor settings is gone. And so everyone in this room, if you're comfortable you can take your mask off. If you're not vaccinated, you don't know that that's the best idea, but um, it is no longer an indoor setting
0: requirement. Here's Public Education Secretary Kurt Steinhaus, courtesy of KOB 4 in Albuquerque. Our students are going to be able to learn more, feel better about themselves because they won't have that mask in the way. And the, the possibility that it it may have been an attempt to change the conversation
3: I mean that is certainly one way to look at it
0: (laughs) the governor also made a point of saying that She was not under pressure to make this decision.
3: Well, since I didn't
2: follow in their footsteps, like right after, like a whole bunch of states did, and if you were on any of those phone calls where I challenged the federal government and the CDC, show me the science, show me the data, show it to my modeling team, show it to my math, and I didn't succumb to that pressure in the Trump administration, and I won't succumb to any pressure in the Biden administration.
1: Yeah, I I think um, the governor is, like you said, is up for re-election. She didn't have... uh, it seemed like a lot of support um, during the session from from some of, you know, from a lot of Democrats who voted against things like the hydrogen bill and, and other things. And so I think she might've been trying to appeal to a more conservative uh, group, you know, trying to draw up support from them. It definitely made people happy here in that uh, Southeast New Mexico. Um, I think you're right, Algernon, our superintendent, seemed to get the memo immediately, sending out an email um, to everyone, uh, parents and, and Principals at the schools saying that, you know, they can they can enforce it or not. It's up to them now. And, um, you know, what a great way to he said to start a four day weekend. So, um, you know, people are real happy about that here. Carlsbad has been Carlsbad in southeast of Mexico. The whole region for that matter has been pretty, uh, pretty opposed to, um, to these mandates. Um, Actually, the day it was announced, we had a protest at the high school, Um, students walked out, Um, we think it was kind of coordinated with the teachers who probably felt the same way, but uh, they walked out and sat in the bleachers for I think about a half hour or so, and then Right away, this announcement came out, so it was kind of chaotic here in the newsroom. You know, having to adjust our coverage from a protesting a mandate to the mandates don't exist anymore. <laughs> but I think people are yep. pretty, to, pretty happy about to, it here. So,
0: why are you sitting in the bleachers? There's no mandate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I They they did their protest the way they wanted to. Um, the school was pretty supportive of it. It seemed kind of, kind of almost helping with it so i think maybe that was a more orderly way for them to have the students walk out of class and sit in the bleachers at the end of the day i mean i you know school districts the schools seem to be kind of facilitating it our superintendent said that we want our students to voice their opinions freely like that so i guess this is one that the administration seems to be be okay with you know we've had other demonstrations among the high school students that weren't treated as such but uh yeah, like I said, people were pretty happy about it. Carlsbad has been a place where you know you go to the grocery store and maybe a quarter of the people are wearing masks. Everyone looks at you funny. You know, I wear mine, and people look at me kind of funny sometimes. You walk into the gas station, no one's got them on. So you know, mask mandates have been a been quite a bit of a different story down here than I think it has been up in Santa Fe and Albuquerque. People were. Pretty happy to hear about it. I've uh, heard that a bunch of students threw their masks up in the air and cheered, you know. So,
0: Alternon, uh, Adrian, is there anything you guys would
1: like to add? um i I would just i guess if you know back to the session When looking into next year i think we're probably going to see a lot of these same bills um, these environmental bills come up again um now that they've been refined i would expect hydrogen to be back i know the governor really wants to i know i've been hammering on hydrogen but you know it was a it was a thing the governor was so super supportive of and super excited about and then for it to get defeated was this session was pretty pretty interesting so i think they're probably going to try again next session um you'll have more things we're always looking out for this uh Five-year moratorium on hydraulic fracturing that um, Senator Antoinette Cidia-Lopez likes to bring up. She didn't do it this session, but she probably will again. That has probably the strongest opposition here compared to anything. Um, you know, five-year moratorium on hydraulic fracturing. Um, basically, while they study the environmental impacts, that would pretty much shut down any new drilling in the area. And that's, you know, that's
0: commonly there. known as fracking, right?
1: Yes, yeah, so yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, fracking, yeah, which is... You know, a lot of environmentalist people view it as, as, you know, wasteful of water, uh, contaminating the environment. Basically, they use and earthquake causing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some recent coverage of that. Um, We're seeing a lot of induced what they call induced seismicity, which basically means earthquakes caused by human activity Um, in West Texas. um, The Midland Odessa area, which is, you know, heavy drilling as well. It's kind of the eastern side of the Permian has seen a big string of earthquakes. They've been sort of moving into um into new mexico but uh, to clarify though the actual process of fracking doesn't cause isn't what people believe is behind it it's the saltwater reinjection that's the wastewater that results from fracking uh, being pumped back underground as a method of disposal that's that's really what's been causing a lot of the earthquakes that we're seeing and um yeah you're seeing more and more every day um and they're including the ready to i mean to I, the, like, spreading up morning. as
0: far as as oklahoma
1: Right, yeah, they, that's that's what a lot of people point to is the, uh, the seismicity in Oklahoma that, that people believe to be the result of fossil fuel drilling. Um, but, uh, you know, here, um, our I think our geology is viewed to be a little more stable than in Oklahoma's. Um, we, but uh, we haven't had nearly the amount of problems they've had. But um, we're seeing more of these, you know, two, you know, magnitude two earthquakes are pretty hard to feel. They're pretty small, but once you see, like, that number increase, you know, by hundreds of percentages, you know, you can surmise that, you know, it's clearly data shows it's getting worse. So that's something I think the state will be will be watching very closely.
0: Thank you both for spending some time talking about these stories and about your reporting process and sharing that with our listeners.
3: Well, thank you, Damien. I mean, I think that, you know, as far as the session goes, you know, for the news consumer, We just spent eight and a half billion dollars. And there are all sorts of proposals and ideas that are debated in the legislature. It's worth following, but it's also really hard for any one or one reporter or team of reporters even to cover everything. And so this is really something where it's worth following more than one news organization. We consciously at the Las Cruces Sun News try to cover things that we don't see get as much coverage from, say, the Albuquerque Journal or the Santa Fe, New Mexican or these other sources. And so it's worth diversifying your sources of news and of course, subscribing to all of them. Absolutely.
0: Like I said, thank you both. I certainly appreciate your time.
3: Anytime Damien, thank you. Yeah, you too
1: Damien, thanks for calling me in.
0: We hope you'll continue following all of these important stories and the rest of Alternons reporting with a subscription to The Sun News. For a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited online access For just $1. This has been The Reporter's Notebook. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. Please subscribe to the Las Cruces Sun News to read all our local reporting. Brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces. Until next time, I'm Damian Willis. Thanks for listening.